Uh, If you are new with us, we've been walking through a series in the book of Genesis, and this morning we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 45 uh, and chapter 46. If you've got your Bible, you can make your way there. Uh, If you're new with us and you don't have a Bible, uh, we have one for you. On that table over there, we've got some black hardback ones, Uh, and so if you didn't on your way in, you can go grab one of those and keep that. That's our gift to you uh, as a church. Uh, But Genesis chapter 45, as we're getting towards the close of Genesis, we've been looking at the life of Joseph. And if you were with us last week, we really saw uh, kind of the high point of Joseph's story up to this point, where he reveals his identity to his brothers, uh, and he reconciles with them. And you think it's kind of happily ever after, and that would be a good close uh, to the book of Genesis to kind of tie everything up into a bow Uh, But Genesis really has like four endings. It has like four times where you think it's going to be over, and then Moses just has a little bit more uh, to say. Unfortunately, it's kind of like some of my sermons, like you think we're almost done, you think we're about to land the plane, uh, and then we pull back up and circle the runway a time or two again. Uh, But it's not my fault. The Bible gave me permission to do it. I mean, Genesis was doing it uh, first. But Joseph, he's reconciled and reunited with his brothers, but there's still one more reunion that needs to take place. He still hasn't seen his dad uh, in over 22 years, and so over the next uh, few weeks, we're going to get to see this reunion. We'll see it a little bit more fully next week, but this week, uh, we're going to see Joseph bringing his family uh, to Egypt, and so we'll walk through the text pretty quickly, and then we'll draw some things out uh, from it together. Sound good? Let's do it. Genesis 45, starting in verse 16, the very word of God to us today, it speaks to us like this. It says, when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beast and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them, he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he's ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Uh, So last week, in in verses 9 through 15 that we looked at, uh, we saw Joseph tell his brothers that they needed to go back and get their father Jacob and bring him to Egypt because there were still five years of this famine left, and and Joseph would provide for his family there in Egypt. 
Uh, and now here we, tell, we see Pharaoh tell uh, Joseph the same thing, to tell his brothers to go get their father and move everyone to Egypt, and Pharaoh says he will give them the best of the land when they do so. And so Joseph does this, and he provides for his brothers on the way. He gives all this stuff for his father. He gives uh, his brothers donkeys, a change of clothes. He gives Benjamin five changes of clothes and some sweet coin, uh, and then he tells them not to fight on the way. Now, you've got to remember, for 22 years, they have lied to their father about what they did to Joseph. And so when they go back and tell their father, hey, Joseph is alive, they're also going to have to tell him what they did to Joseph all those years ago. And so it would be really easy to start fighting on the way back and to say, it was your idea. No, it was your idea. If you just would have listened to me, none of this would have ever happened. You better tell dad that it was your fault. But Joseph says, look, it's forgiven. Don't worry about it. Don't fight about it on the way. Uh, and so they get back to their father, Jacob, and they tell him, hey, Joseph, is, he's actually still alive, and uh, he's the ruler of all of Egypt. Uh, and of course, Jacob does not believe this at first, because that's news that's just a little bit too good to be true. But when he sees all the stuff, all the provisions that Joseph has provided for this journey, he believes uh, and he begins to take this journey. And so let's pick it back up uh, in verse 1 of chapter 46. It says, So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. And so God appears to, and he speaks to Jacob, and, and as we see this, it should really remind us of the way that God has previously appeared to and spoken to Abraham and to Isaac, Jacob's father, uh, before this, and where previously God told uh, Jacob's father Isaac not to go to Egypt during a previous famine, here he tells Jacob not to be afraid to go to Egypt because Egypt is where he will provide for him and his family. Egypt is where uh, he will make them into a great nation, and also he says that he will be with him to bring him uh, as he goes into Egypt, and he will be faithful and be with him to bring him up out of Egypt as well. Now, something else I think Moses wants us to see here uh, is that Jacob's life is actually going to be a prophecy of the Exodus here. Uh, his name keeps switching back in these chapters from Jacob and Israel because he's really functioning as a representative of the people of Israel and the nation of Israel as a whole. Like what happens to him is what's going to happen to them. He will go down into Egypt, but at the end of the book of Genesis, after he dies, Joseph will bring his body uh, back to the promised land and bury him with his fathers. And, and just like that, the rest of the family of Israel is going down into Egypt, and Joseph is going to die, and a new Pharaoh is going to rise up into power who does not know Joseph, and the, Israelite, the Egyptians are going to enslave the Israelites, but God will be with them, he will be faithful to them, and he will deliver them and bring them up out of Egypt uh, and save them. And so we see that, but I think there's something else uh, that, that Moses wants us to see in this, uh, and it, it's what uh, God does here, because what we see here is that this is actually the last time that God speaks to his people 
for over 400 years in the biblical story. Uh, The next time that God appears to and speaks to somebody is going to be in Exodus chapter 3 when he appears to Moses at the burning bush over 400 years after this moment. Uh, I think sometimes we get the impression that God was just kind of constantly appearing to and speaking to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph, but hopefully as we've walked through Genesis, you've seen that that really isn't the case. The times in between God appearing to them and speaking to them are really long. I mean, even here uh, for Jacob, it's been at least 22 years since this has happened, and they're really not just called to kind of sit on their hands and wait for God to appear to them again and speak to them and tell them what to do next. They're called to walk by faith in God each and every day of their life. They're called to trust in the promises of God that God has already made Uh, And look, the same is true for us as well. Uh, Our Christian lives are not going to be one mountaintop experience with Jesus after another where uh, reading our Bible is kind of this deep felt experiential joy and uh, the thought of praying and communing with Jesus is really what gets us up out of bed in the morning, what drives us and and what drives our day. No, uh, most of the Christian life is really mundane and ordinary. It's learning to walk with Jesus and trust in Jesus and obey Jesus and love Jesus even when the fireworks aren't there, even when the feelings aren't there, even when it feels like really he's kind of gone silent on us and maybe he's even forgotten about us. Just like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the Israelites before us, we are called to trust in the promises of God that he has already made and take the next step. Like, look, it would be so easy The Israelites are about to go into slavery. It would be so easy for them to believe that God had gone silent on them and had forgotten about them because he's not directly appearing to them and speaking to them, but he hadn't abandoned them. He has already promised that he was going to deliver them even before they go into slavery in Egypt. He's promising it here through Jacob, but he actually promised this way, way back to to their grandfather Abraham, all the way back in Genesis chapter 15. Listen to what God said to Abraham. It says, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And so God's made this promise, but notice also, God tells Jacob not to be afraid to go down to Egypt because Egypt is where he's going to make them into a great nation. Uh, God promised a few distinct things to Abraham, and one of the distinct things that he promised is that he would make him and his offspring into a great nation. And now here in Genesis 46, God is saying it's actually there in Egypt, not in the promised land, that God is going to fulfill this aspect of the promise to them to make them into a great nation. It's there in the place of what's going to be their darkest and most horrific suffering that God's actually going to be doing some of his best work in making them fruitful and multiplying them, making them a great nation and fulfilling this part of his promise to them. And listen, the same is going to be true for us. Now, I I wish this wasn't true. I wish this was not the case, but it is. Like God does some of his best work in us in the dark, in the circumstances, and in the sufferings and struggles that are dark and messy and horrific in our lives. 
I mean, just think about the times in your life that have been most fruitful, the, the times you really felt like you've really grown and deepened in your relationship with Jesus. I, I bet most of us would be able to say that it was in those times that were incredibly dark and incredibly hard and incredibly difficult uh, where Jesus met us in some really profound ways. Like, yeah, that situation was awful. I never want to go through with that again. And but, but Jesus met me and brought me to a place of, love for him and dependence on him and trust in him and a clinging to him that I just don't think I could have gotten to any other way. The, the good news is that God is sovereign enough and he's powerful enough and he's in control enough to work good even out of the most horrific Egypt-like circumstances of our lives. And so we can trust him. And we actually have even more reason to trust God in those Egypt-like places in our lives, even more reason to trust God in the mundane and in the ordinary when it feels like he has gone silent on us or maybe he's even forgotten about us. Uh, Because he's given us all the promises that we need in his word and we already know the end of the story. He already has delivered us in Jesus and he will deliver us in full when Jesus returns. Like the promises that we are reading about here in Genesis, these have all been fulfilled in Jesus. And so even when it feels like God has gone silent on you, the cross stands as this objective proof that God has not and will not change his mind about you, that he will not fail to keep his promises uh, about, towards you, he will not abandon you, that he will not fail to bring you safely all the way home. And so we can walk by faith and we can trust him. And so this is what Jacob does. He trusts God and what God promises here. And he begins uh, to take this journey. And so as he starts this journey, then we get uh, a long list of names from the people in his family. And uh, I'm just going to tell you, just give me some grace here. Uh, Some of these pronunciations are going to be my best guess. But jump back into the text with me uh, in verse 5. It says, Then Jacob set out from Beersheba, The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones and their wives, in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt. Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman, the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the sons of Judah, Er, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah, but Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan, and the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul, the sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva, Job, and Shimron, the sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elon, and Jalil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she boarded Jacob in Padam Aram, together with his daughter Dinah. Altogether, his sons and his daughters numbered 33. The sons of Gad, Ziphion, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Erodai, and Areli. The sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Beriah, and Sarah, their sister. And the sons of Bariah, Heber, and Malkiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, 
16 persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Huppim, or Muppim and Huppim, uh, it's your call, Ard. Uh, these are the sons of Rachel, uh, who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. The sons of Dan, Hushim, the, the son of Naphtali, uh, Jezeel, Guni, Jezer, and Shilam. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. So as we're heading towards the close of the book of Genesis, God is again pointing us both backwards uh, and forwards. So if you were here uh, and if you remember this, and it was a year ago, so if you do remember this, you get like a gold star or something. Uh, but a year ago, we were in Genesis chapter 10, and in Genesis chapter 10, you get what a lot of people have referred to uh, as what's called the table of nations. And it's this list of people groups that eventually spread out and became nations, kind of all the known peoples on the earth at this time, uh, the peoples that spread out and became nations after the flood and the Tower of Babel. And so you get that, and then right after that, God calls Abraham, and he says he's going to bless him so that he can be a blessing to all the nations, so that salvation could come to the entire world. And so all those nations that God promises to bless through Abraham, all those nations listed in Genesis chapter 10, when you count them up, uh, does anybody want to guess how many you get? Seventy. Uh, 70 nations, and Moses takes care to highlight that when the people of Israel go into Egypt, there are 70 persons in all. Uh, that's not a coincidence. Moses is presenting the people of Israel, Jacob and his family, as a new humanity here. This new humanity, this number of people, this family that seems so small and insignificant, I mean, even on a holiday weekend, I think we've got at least double that in this room, uh, this family that seems so small and insignificant, it's actually through this family that God is going to bless all the nations of the earth, that the whole world, all of humanity is going to find blessing through the family of Abraham. Like the entire reason we've been zoomed in on Abraham and his family through the book of Genesis is because it's through this family that God is going to reverse the curse and bring blessing to the entire world. So God has not lost the plot. He has not forgotten about his plans and his promises to bring salvation to the whole world. And we're getting a picture of that here uh, with the 70 people that go into Egypt here at the end of the book of Genesis, but it's not just that that points us backwards and forwards. We also see this uh, in something that Pharaoh tells Joseph in verses 18 and 20 when he says, bring your family to Egypt and I will give them the best of the land and the best parts of the land uh, will be theirs. Uh, both times when Pharaoh says the best of the land, the word he uses for best there is the word good. It's the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 1 when God is creating the world, and he's seeing and saying that what he created was good. 
And so what we've got here is we've got this new humanity uh, journeying on this place towards the good land where God will be with them, this garden-like, Eden-like land where God will be with them to bless them. And so in this, we're really, I think, getting a picture of what salvation is all about. Salvation is really not just about God forgiving us and taking us to heaven so that we can sit on clouds and strum harps for all of eternity. Now, salvation is about God reversing the curse that our sin has brought into the world and blessing all the nations and restoring the earth so that the day would be coming where we would live with God forever and it would be God's people in God's place living under God's good rule, experiencing his presence and blessing. This is what God is doing in salvation, and this is where this text points us forward to Jesus, because this is what God has done and is doing in Jesus. You see, Jesus has come. He has lived the perfect life that you and I have not lived. And he, went, he then laid that perfect life down on the cross as a substitute in our place. Then he rose from the dead and defeated our death. He ascended into heaven uh, where he sits at the right hand of God the Father. And he reigns from heaven where all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And with that great authority that has been given to him, Jesus does not just simply forgive our sins. No, like Joseph, he provides for us on the journey. And so in this story, I think we should really see a picture of where we're at in history right now, of where we're at in salvation history, of what Jesus is doing for us right now. You see, Jesus has come, and he has saved us, and he is bringing us home to the good land that he has promised to us where we will be with him, not just a piece of land in the Middle East, but the entire new heavens and new earth that he will usher in when he returns. He has saved us from slavery to our sin, and right now we are journeying home towards that good land where we will be with him, and he will provide for us. And while we journey home towards that good land, towards that freedom, Jesus has not left us to ourselves. He has not said, hey, good luck. I hope you make it. Uh, see you when you get here. No, he himself is bringing us home to that good land. Uh, and like Joseph, he provides everything that we need along the way. Uh, think about the process of buying a house. Uh, unless you're real bougie and you're able to just put down a cash offer and uh, make a cash payment and pay for that house in full up front, and more power to you if you're able to do that. Uh, but unless you're able to do that, what happens when you buy a house? Uh, you put down a down payment on the house, you pay a price of that house up front, and that down payment really serves as kind of a promise from you to the lender uh, that you're good for it that you are gonna be able to pay this mortgage and this loan off over the next 15 to 30 years, that you're not gonna default on this loan. Uh, it's a promise from you to them saying, even though, I can't, even though I'm not doing it right now, paying up front, I will pay this off in full. Well, in Ephesians chapter one, Paul says that when God saves us, he sends his Holy Spirit into our heart, he seals us with the Holy Spirit, uh, who is the down payment of our inheritance until God redeems his possession. 
What that means is that when Jesus saves us, he sends the Holy Spirit into our hearts, and the Holy Spirit is God's down payment. It's the proof that he's good for it, that he's not going to default or go back on what he purchased, that he will not fail to accomplish our salvation in full and bring us all the way home. And so just like Joseph sent Jacob these gifts so that Jacob would know that Joseph really is alive and that this really is for real and so that he really would be able to take this journey, Jesus has sent God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to come live in our hearts and indwell us and empower us for this journey so that we would not perish or stall out along the way. Jesus is not a halfway savior. He gives us everything that we need. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us so that even more so than Jacob, we can truly say that God is always with us on the way. But the Holy Spirit isn't the only gift that Jesus gives us for this journey. Uh, Just like Jacob, who didn't initially believe the good news that Joseph was alive and wanted him to be with him until he saw all of these gifts and provisions that Joseph had provided uh, for his journey, just like that, Jesus gives us gifts and provisions and signs that are meant to stir up and encourage our faith uh, to deepen our trust in him as we take this journey home. This is what baptism and the Lord's Supper are. When we baptize someone, we are proclaiming the gospel. We are proclaiming the good news that Jesus really is alive and that the work of salvation hasn't stopped, that he is still doing the work of salvation right up to this very moment. He is still bringing people from death to life. And when we baptize someone, you and I who are baptized are meant to remember our own baptisms, to remember what Jesus has done to save us and to bring us from death to life, to remember the covenant that he made with us and that we made with him, that what's most true about us are we, is that we are his and he is ours forever. Uh, in a lot of ways, baptism functions uh, like a wedding ring. Uh, Being baptized doesn't save you any more than wearing a wedding ring makes you married. Uh, But like a wedding ring, baptism is this real visible, tangible sign that God gives us to help us remember uh, the covenant that we made with him, the vows we made. Just like I can feel this wedding ring on my finger and remember that, that I have covenanted my life to Braylon, that my life is hers, hers is mine, that we are in this together for better or for worse with all of the rights and uh, responsibilities that that entails. Just like that, we can remember our baptism and remember that we have decided to follow Jesus, that what's most true about us is that we are his and, and that he has saved us. When we take the Lord's Supper every week, we are proclaiming that Jesus is alive and that in him we are alive too and that we are headed towards the marriage supper of the Lamb, that that's where our home is, that the day is coming when we will feast with Jesus face to face uh, and it will just be the beginning of knowing him and walking with him for all of eternity. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are signs and foretastes of the new creation. They're like postcards and gifts from that land, urging us forward, urging us to continue journeying towards our home, encouraging us so that we would not stall out along the way. This is also why God gives us the gift of speaking to us through his word, through preaching. 
Like we preach every week because Jesus is present with us and he speaks to us through his word to recenter our lives on what's most real and what's most important and what's most central, which is him. This is why Augustine called the Bible the face of God for now. It's where we hear God. It's where we see the face of God is in the scriptures. Look, all week long, you and I are being discipled by the world's voices to love what the world loves and to think like the world thinks and to value what the world values and to live for what the world lives for. Hearing the gospel uh, through the preaching of the word and singing the gospel in song and seeing the gospel in baptism and tasting the gospel in the Lord's Supper as we gather together every week is meant to reorient us and recenter our lives on the true story of the whole world. It's meant to form us so that increasingly more and more we might love what God loves and think like God thinks and value what God values and live for what God tells us to live for. These gifts and signs that Jesus has given us, they're meant to stir up and encourage our faith to provide for us on this journey so that we wouldn't stall out on side roads, so that we wouldn't get lost and stop on a detour, so that we would not fail to make it all the way home so that we remember where we're actually going and what our true home is. And so this is where we find ourselves. Jesus has saved us and he is bringing us home to that good land where we will be with him forever. We are journeying home to freedom and while we journey, we are called to preach the good news to ourselves through the gifts and provisions uh, that Jesus has given us because the way that God keeps us on this journey It's through our faith. See, Jesus is alive. He's the ruler of all of heaven and of earth. And he will not fail to bring us home. He will not lose us on the way. He is the end that we are headed towards. He is the way that we get there. And he is the one that we enjoy on the way as we journey. And so let's continue to trust him and take the next step. Let me pray that we would. Jesus, thank you for your word. And for this good news that in this story with Joseph, we just get just a dim shadow of what you're doing for us, how you are providing for us on the journey and bringing us home so that forever we would be with you. Jesus, I pray that you would stir our hearts up um, to hope in that good news, to know that you do some of your best work in us, in the dark along the way, that you will not abandon us, you will not fail to bring us home, that, you will, that, that our end is life with you forever. And so, God, I pray we would walk in that uh, this week, that that would be our hope, that that would be what recenters us and reorients us when we're tempted to go look for hope in uh, other things. And so, God, as we move to respond to you now, would you do that in our hearts? Would you help us, like Jacob, to believe the good news uh, that Joseph is alive, and that he wants him to be with him, and that he's going to provide for him. Would you help us to believe the good news that Jesus is alive, he's ruler of heaven and earth, he will provide for us, and he's bringing us home to himself. I pray that you would. In your name, amen.